With our next Diffusion Conference fast approaching, this week we're bringing you an audio mashup of some of the best talks at previous Diffusion Conferences, including Juan Bennett, CEO of Protocol Labs, Robbie Young, CEO of Animoca Brands, and Aaron McDonald, co-founder of Fluff. If you'd like to join us for our next Live Metaverse and Web3 event, head to diffusion.events for more. In this episode, I'll be going through five of my top moments from our March event. We are starting off with a panel led by Jan Beriswell discussing play to earn gaming. I think, I think first of all, Play to Earn is a fantastic new innovation, um, you know, that we have in gaming now as a result of the fact that we have blockchain underpinning a lot of games uh, that have come out recently. Um, but I think we can think about many different things that blockchain enables. You know, blockchain fundamentally enables content ownership. And so with that ownership comes the ability to trade and monetize the content. Um, and sometimes, you know, I prefer to think of it not so much as play to earn, but um, play to not lose everything um, because i think one of the good ways to think about blockchain games is that once you have ownership of the content a lot of people and a lot of media attention etc has been focused on the idea that people can make money and that what they buy in games for example might appreciate in value um, but i think the more fundamental change as an industry from traditional gaming to blockchain gaming is more about the idea that um, players just won't necessarily lose everything. In a traditional game, all the money you spend, 100% of it goes to the developer. You never get anything back. Yeah, that's a very helpful reframing. So it's very much about all of these in-game items and, and valuable um, yeah, avatars. All of these things can become NFTs and become portable outside of the game and, and truly owned by the players. Yes. Um, yeah, um, maybe Marco, you could uh, elaborate a bit on how some of these innovations could transition into the Web2 gaming space, if at all. Like, how do you see that playing out? Yeah, what I observe is uh, like play to earn as a paradigm is, is quite nice. And of course, it helps a lot, especially if you frame it with a narrative like this. But also there's like a yeah, little bit of a downside, so to say, because um, most creators in the Web2 space, like vi traditional video games, uh, currently cannot really participate in Web3-enabled games. And on the other end, uh, even the Web3-enabled games um, yeah, somehow have little incentive at the moment to really innovate in their like, business model, for example. So NFTs, from my perspective at the moment, it sounds a bit harsh, but uh, it's more like an add-on feature uh, to existing business models. and so it doesn't really push people to really move into Web3 apart from benefiting from the item ownership upside, which is already a very big one. But, and to answer your question, um, if we really want to uh, enable this, uh, this industry, which is stuck in Web2 and help them transition into Web3, possibly NFTs and any play to earn mechanics aren't enough. So we need, for example, better tool chains as well, because currently, everything web3 related is super complex in terms of integration and um yeah that makes a lot of sense um in terms of the business model i'd like to dive in there a bit more so we've mentioned by now this uh, ownership of in-game items and so on like just the fact that um, players can earn by um, participating in the games but i think there's much more and there's complex ways these intertwine I think YGG is maybe one of the um, best uh, early examples of kind of these new, how these new types of business models can, can be leveraged. 
So Beryl, I'm wondering whether what's your take on this? You know, what kind of business models are you excited about? And do you see like um, picking up more steam? Yeah, so building up from what uh, Robbie and uh, Robbie and Marco actually explained about ownership, uh, because users and the community actually end up like owning something, they end up like earning something uh, from um, because you know like a there's like a creation of value, and uh, as that value actually accrues from that ownership, um, a lot of uh, players are able to um, end up like affording, and they actually end up having earnings and you know um, a bit of income. Uh, because of that, uh, what we see in YGG is applications built on top of the community and of these games. And some of them would actually be uh, in crypto uh, DeFi, right? So we actually see uh, the intersection of gaming and uh, finance uh, because now that users are able to uh, to amass uh, income, now they're looking, now they're increasing their savings. They're able to make decisions on what to actually purchase. Um, they're actually one of the first users of being able to use MetaMask to cash out. Um, they're also able to actually start like uh, using Uniswap, uh, SushiSwap. And then um, eventually uh, we're actually seeing uh, the ability to uh, kind of like integrate insurance products, other lending products, and so on and so forth, just because they already have uh, the funds uh, that can actually, you know, that they can actually use for these other applications. Um, and to think about it, a lot of the users, for example, at YGG, uh, never had the bank account before. And uh, yeah, so, uh, and news actually came out like uh, three months ago about like MetaMask out of their 10 million uh, users, 20% of that were uh, were from the Philippines, for example. Um, and yeah, so it's uh, quite fascinating how, you know, um, other applications can actually build uh, on top of play to earn games. Excited to see what the future holds for play to earn gaming. Our second clip is a panel led by Juan Bennett, who breaks down how you can create more immersive metaverse experiences. So today I just want to uh, talk about um, building the metaverse and I want to walk through uh, a set of recommendations for um, a number of, of um, different kinds of applications and different different kind of tools that, that are useful right now. So I'm going to do something slightly different than most of my usual talks. And I'm going to sort of scope this one to to kind of give advice and recommendations to people building metaverse tooling and experiences kind of right now and kind of in the next 12 months. Um, so I want to kind of really focus on, on on this time period because I think it's it's a super exciting moment. There's a ton going on, um, and and the builders that are making things now are going to help shape the future. So uh, I want to just give kind of um, some a bit of advice on. Uh, uh, sort of how to get there. So uh, I'm going to go through kind of a quick introduction, uh, talk about some principles, uh, talk about some spaces, then kind of get through kind of basic interactions that we have to get working, then uh, setting the stage for advanced interactions and some ideas on how to how to develop that. Um, getting to, uh, uh, I have a few kind of like hack ideas for, for things that people might make now um, that could be pretty useful in kind of speeding up the rest of the development. Uh, and then I want to talk a little bit about uh, authoring tools. Uh, I'm going to kind of meander through a lot of this, um, and this is kind of meant to be um, thinking a lot with with uh, with builders. Um, if there's any kind of uh, way of getting uh, questions, or like if you have any questions, like uh, definitely feel free to uh, add a, a towards the end. You know, the metaverse has. I think the metaverse has been developing itself over decades. You can think of like the early games and the early online experiences that uh, a lot of us shared as the kind of beginnings of this environment and the beginnings of the metaverse. Um, and they, just the, the wiring of the metaverse has been really poor so far. It's sort of 
forces you to get out of those experiences and maybe um, click a link somewhere, follow some readme instructions somewhere, download uh, some software and then kind of launch it. And so, um, but it's, 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 it's not quite what we've always wanted uh, in terms of the metaverse, but, but a lot of the shared experiences and high quality um, engaging environments that all of these games throughout decades gave us, um, that's the kind of quality experience that we have to achieve with like this broader kind of seamless metaverse. And I think we're, we're in the last couple of years, we've made a ton of progress in, in getting much closer to, to that uh, that kind of vision. And it's a, you know, a large variety of different applications and systems um, are getting us closer to this, to this environment. One of the key aspects of building uh, the metaverse in Web3. So what this is, relates to is, instead of trying to build a single platform uh, that kind of does everything and that you keep adding features to and, and so on, um, the critical thing to do is to uh, create different composable pieces that can then be put together by other participants so that you as a developer, developer team um, can make a, a component that is a composable component that then can plug into what somebody else is making. Uh, this has been one of the defining features of Web3. Most of Web3 successful applications tend to be highly composable. You can think of the massive success of DeFi as really a great story of, of excellent composability and very good design in terms of how different components should be fitting together, all built by many different teams around the world, um, not coordinating, just building composable primitives um, and deploying them. So I really think the metaverse, uh, for it to be uh, an open environment, um, for it to be the metaverse that we all want, it has to be built up from that composability. And I also think that if you bet on composability, uh, you can move dramatically faster than, than any other kind of large scale platform. Looking forward to seeing how developers will try and make metaverse experiences more engaging and enjoyable in the near future. Our third clip is from a panel led by Jamie discussing big tech versus the open metaverse. Let's talk about the pros and cons of, of these, these two opposing worlds. Firstly, are they opposing? Is there a third way? Is there a hybrid um, between the two? Um, Aaron, you know, why can't we dismiss big tech? I mean, I, I feel like that's quite an obvious one at the surface level, which is that um, they have the users today. Um, and so being able to teleport users to their vision of what the metaverse is and have them feel somewhat that they've made that transition um, and maybe not know the difference between, you know, what we see as this open metaverse and what, what um, will just be VR version of Facebook. Um, is something that's a big risk. You know, that's something they've got up their sleeve. Um, I think also they've got access to, um, you know, political capital, which um, I think as this thing shapes out, we're going to see politics play a role in the metaverse um, because the true open metaverse is kind of about breaking down structures, um, whether that's um, ge 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 geographies or whether that's um, cultural or whether that's um, political or whether that's financial. Um, you know, the, the, the metaverse we all think about or we all kind of imagine is one that transforms the paradigm of society in a digital world and moves us from being, you know, tied to these very discrete um, ge geopolitical boundaries into something that is more, more akin to what the internet is designed for, which is an open space. Um, where people can participate from anywhere, no matter who they are. Um, so that is going to get political, I feel, because you know, if you if you go down the real metaverse path, 
then you can start to see things like, you know, companies and countries start to be less relevant and probably the people in those power structures won't like that. Um, so I think those are probably the two big things. They've got the users, they can pr provide a UX that, that feels like the vibe um, and, and they've got some political power. What are the kind of vulnerabilities or limitations of the metaverse? Because I'm sure we could all sit around here talking about all the, all the great stuff that we love about it and why we want it to exist. But is that not just being utopic? What's the reality of the open metaverse today and its limitations? I mean, I, I think, you know, what people like Facebook and Epic Games and all these bigger entities kind of have in their favor right now is like everybody knows how to go to Facebook, make an account, sign in. Like my mom uses Facebook religiously and it's like, it's just, it's got the whole demographic covered as far as ease of use. Uh, I think when you start talking about the open metaverse, there's there's a lot of risk out there. And, you know, it's it's not necessarily a very safe place for the people who are not completely, um, you know, up to speed on best practices. And, you know, we, I think crypto and, and people working on the open metaverse, like we've got a long way to go to make it um, convenient. Like you want to have people opt in to, the open free metaverse, but like a lot of people aren't going to do that at the expense of significance of ease of use and just safety. You know, I think the idea of having your wallet drained or, or any of these other things that you hear about on a daily basis, like we've got a long way to go to, um, to normalizing, I think just best practices. And I think also just like, just the design of a lot of these protocols and the things that are being developed, like they're, they're designed in, you know, for the people that are pretty familiar with this stuff already. Um, so I think we, we can use uh, a little bit more work there, but um, I think people are always going to want, or at least a lot of people are always going to want to opt in to the open and free metaverse, because we've kind of seen what all these guys did the first time around. Um, and, you know, there's an opportunity here to like have our own. And I would hope that like, you know, as these bigger companies start to pivot, people working at Facebook are like, well, why don't I just go do this with people like Aaron? Uh, and, you know, hopefully we can kind of steal some of their best and brightest minds to, uh, to build something a little bit better. I'm very excited to see whether the open metaverse will prevail against big tech companies and how the two will compete. Our next clip is from another panel led by Jamie discussing how immersive experiences are evolving in the metaverse. Initially starting with you, Sam, to kind of define what what you mean by the metaverse in the context of live events is it physical and virtual and if so is it a blurring of those two things are they separate is there an interplay yeah um i think that so we kind of think of it like i said in these specific verticals and i think that like you kind of generalize these verticals enough to for it to make sense across uh, a number of different industries. And so I think that like one of those verticals is shared experiences between online and offline users and events certainly have that happening, right? There's like a lot of people in one physical location, and a lot of people around the world who are online interested in what's happening there. Uh, there's digital property rights and financial rights. That's definitely a part of the metaverse. And so NFTs and social tokens are the obvious kind of solutions there. Um, I think there's interactive or like immersive storytelling via 3D content or virtual worlds, Fortnite being a great example, but then also AR content on site at festivals. And I think an opportunity to take some of that AR content and have that also exist in a virtual world for like a cohesiveness 
across experiences. Um, then there's like community connectivity, collaboration. There's tools that empower creators to like build and earn. Um, all of those things that I think very relevant in everybody's idea of the metaverse and also relevant for events. How do you see blockchain, blockchains converge with AR and VR in the context of the metaverse and events? So I think in, first, in terms of in terms of technologies, I want a second to sort of what Sam was saying, and we're particularly focused on AR because of that convergence, the sort of possibility of bringing the physical and the digital together in one space, whether that's in terms of users or content or both. Um, in terms of um, sort of how how that how that comes together with the blockchain for us. I think what's most important in, in terms of a live event, if you think about what makes it live, what makes that special, why is live itself unique? It's that you've got audiences and artists coming together at one moment to create a, mo to create a moment that is shared, that is completely unique, only happens at that one time. There's an element of sort of um, vulnerability on the behalf of both the performer and the audience because you're sort of taking a risk in essence in, in taking the in sharing in this one moment what the metaverse offers what AR offers and VR as well and really sort of most formats but the metaverse and, and blockchain technology is the ability to scale that both from the perspective of distributing the content and also the connectivity between the artists, between the audiences, between everybody who's coming together for that moment. So Tiago, how are you know brands and talent effectively, you know, organizations that have IP, either established IP or they're gonna be producing new IP, approaching the metaverse, and in particular thinking about the open metaverse. So the latter question is the more interesting one and one that I think is still being figured out but the former the first one is is pretty obvious they're being present they're going out there they're building experiences you know and that's particularly for the case of brands but also for the case of IP rights holders and um, talent out there right so you mentioned Travis Scott on Fortnite I would say that there was a um Another moment previous to that, which was Marshmallow on Fortnite, and then previous to that, maybe when uh, when Drake and Ninja did their stream uh, playing Fortnite, and then after that, there's probably previous to that there's another moment. So I think for every person, there's always one moment that's going to be resonating, and that's been going on for the last perhaps 10, 20 years in one way, shape, or form across different waves of technologies. And if you see um, most fascinating thing about him is that talent brands have always been present. How did Coachella stay on top of it and filter what's relevant and what you should be reacting to, let alone pioneer stuff? Yeah, I think the the answer is is kind of straightforward, right? It's like doing doing the research, being out there and understanding what's happening in the space and continuing to break things down and rebuild them in a way that you feel is better every single year. Uh, that's like, I think something that I learned from the team at Coachella, I think it's one of the reasons why Coachella is such a, uh, a worldwide phenomenon and a successful brand is because that team is so talented at like, even if something's working well, like how can we make it better? Um, and, and I think 
part of that is like when you're thinking about these new technologies and the brands that you want to work with, um, how do you make sure that you are continuously retaining the core essence of what makes Coachella Coachella or any event an event, which is uh, supporting and enabling the connection between the artist and the fan. At the end of the day, that's like what it is all about. Why isn't all of this stuff just going to get streamed on Web2 platforms like Netflix and Amazon Prime? Like, why is this going to happen on an alternative Web3 platform? I think it's it comes back to exactly what what Sam was just saying about the tech serving the actual objective of the art form in the first place and what the whether it's a festival or whether it's a music artist or a theatre company what they're trying to achieve and I think that there have been obviously several attempts over the years to bring live performance to mass audiences at varying degrees of success but nothing has really managed to achieve that sort of to go back to that um, that original point that I made about that moment of connectivity and that sort of more participatory engagement that you have with live performance as an audience member than you do as a sort of spectator of pre-recorded content. I think we just haven't had um, the technology that create that can create that, recreate that feeling at a mass scale yet. How does, how does Web3 or kind of Web3 enabled open metaverse change the relationship between creator, audience and fan? Or to what extent does it? A lot has been said about this topic. So, um, you know, I'll keep it brief and touch upon the things that I find more interesting. The relationship is still the same. So the relationship is going to be still, you're an artist or you're a fan. Right, and you're a fan of that artist um, and you're creating music or art for that community that you hope are your fans. So the relationship is still the same. And I think the ways that you touch upon that relationship, the, way that, the ways that you can engage for that relationship are the ones that are expanding. Right? Previously, you had a very consumptive based relationship where you are looking at the output of that artist's creation and then saying yeah i'd like to consume that or yeah i'd like to maybe share of it and talk to it talk about it with my friends and uh, the communities i'm a part of now you have perhaps a little bit more of an earlier touch point which is um hey um i actually like what this person has done in the past so why don't i help them do more of that or why don't i uh, become a active supporter uh, financially with, if it's not financial, then with whatever support I could provide of my time and of my effort, of my community gathering efforts. So the, the relationship is the same, but the ways that you are working that relationship are certainly different. What role does gamification play positively in that building of community? Um. So, I mean, as, as I mentioned before, there's this sort of incentivization of, of behaviors. And I think that this is very much connected to what Tiago was just saying in the sense that as an artist, you always want to sort of um, mobilize your audience, your fan base to support you, however that might they may be able to, whether that's financially or through purchasing records or through bringing their friends into your community, whatever that is. But that's always been 
very transactional. I think to, to use like a real world example, if you're if you're performing at a gig and you want the audience up on their feet, you want them at the front, you want them dancing, they kind of they, they need to take a risk in order to do that. Um, and you don't really have very many ways currently of encouraging that behavior. Whereas in the meta, in the metaverse, you can use gamification to incentivize increased interaction and engagement. So your audiences know that the more they interact with the experience, perhaps more tokens they'll earn to spend on merch or something along those lines. It's it's a risk in, as an audience member to, to participate and you're making that risk more appealing because they're sharing in the benefits of it. Um, it's kind of, it's, it's sort of, yeah, community building and, and participatory engagement that benefits everybody as opposed to creating a sort of transactional um, system that we have now with sort of, you know, you pay an influencer to promote you or whatever that might be. It's just a lot more, yeah, grassroots, a lot more authentic and meaningful, I think. And I think, I guess this is how people can participate in the value creation. And if that's somehow atomized IP and NFTs, you can see with the Board 8 Yacht Club, the success of that, the idea that mm. people can have a stake, um, a particular slice of the IP, um, they can add value to it, launching a coffee shop, their own merch, creating a character, launching a band, um, using these characters that um, allows them to monetize it in one way, but at the same time adds value for the whole. It's going to be interesting to see how live events will develop and become more immersive because of the open metaverse. Our final clip is from a panel led by Matt Lowe, discussing how Polygon Studios will contribute to the development of play-to-earn gaming in the future. So just to kind of set the scene, as you know, as we're all aware, Polygon is a decentralized Ethereum scaling platform uh, that enables developers to build scalable, user-friendly dApps with low transaction fees without ever sacrificing security. The profile is the protocol is used by developers to make Ethereum transactions cheaper and faster. It has some 7,000 decentralized apps um, hosted on the protocol, more than 130 million unique users, and handles over 3 million daily transactions, which is just incredible. Um, my first question is for Arjun. Can you take us through uh, the journey of how the protocol got to this point and insight into some of the biggest challenges that you faced along the way? It's been an interesting journey for us. So back in 2020, in July, our mainnet went live. And of course, you know, like the way we've created the network, right, which which is also like fully EVM compatible, easy to use for developers, et cetera, but also, you know, very high performance. We kind of realized that it would be a very natural fit for gaming, especially, right? It tends to be transaction heavy. Um, you know, you would want the games to be as interactive as possible, right? And, and here, like you can, you know, you don't have to, because Polygon has like a two second block time, the transactions are, cheap, you know, inexpensive. You don't necessarily have to make very hard trade-offs when you have to decide what has to be kept on-chain and off-chain. Right now, but but when you do these, when you when you're looking to build an ecosystem, right, it cannot be done without sort of also getting all the other tooling together. So I think what worked really well for us is a really a 360 degree approach towards building the ecosystem, which meant you know integrating with lots of wallets as well, so that that experience becomes easier. Lots of fiat on ramps that becomes easier. Like all the other infrastructure pieces, like Chainlink, for example, so you could get the VRF function like verified randomness. Um, you know, for example, uh, data services like the graph where, you know, you can get other interesting data about the blockchain, uh, all the different API services. So all of, so we work not just to get like, you know, to build like an ecosystem, which has lots of dApps, but also all the different tooling required, 
to really bring out you know the value from those dabs to make it easier to build these kind of experiences so i think i think this was something which was you know which has worked really well for us and of course you know the the team worked super hard you know very talented team here at polygon um and uh, you know we were able to sort of build good you know sort of a ecosystem and and you know like like while you know we've created polygon studios and we've had you know very sort of uh, let's say a, a focused approach towards gaming but you know we were clear right in like i remember when we first started having these conversations it was in november of 2020 when we were clear that gaming is going to be something truly like amazing for blockchain it's a natural fit it can get a huge number of non blockchain users into blockchain so this is kind of when we had decided that we have to do this and and then we also you know set up these kind of focused uh, let's say growth engines like polygon studios right where we were able to offer full stack support uh, to many of these games in fact sophia is is leading um you know gaming for polygon studios she's been talking one to one with several different games um and you know now we have much you know much larger much more like sort of structured sort of an approach towards this ecosystem and you know and and you will see a lot of other exciting announcements in in, in the days to come with, with what's happening with gaming on polygon yeah. there's always there's always exciting announcements when it comes to polygon uh it, it, <laughs> it's fantastic and it happens so so rapidly the developments are are excellent I, I want to continue this narrative around Polygon Studios because it's such a super exciting new development. Um, uh, you know, we know that Polygon Studios is the gaming and NFT arm of 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 Polygon, um, and recently it's announced a range of hires from some of the largest Web two companies such as Electronic Arts, uh, Penske Media, Amazon Cloud Gaming, Mystical Games. Uh, even companies like NASA, um, uh, we've had Riot Games, and then the CEO, the leader of, of Polygon Studios is, is from uh, YouTube Gaming. Um, so Sophia, as a, as a representative of Polygon Studios, what in your opinion is the fundamental driver attracting individuals um, from these prestigious companies to the crypto realm and to Polygon Studios? Yeah, I mean, the people that have been joining are just absolutely wonderful. I think for someone to attract people like that, you need to have a vision that is worth pursuing and something that is relevant to the times and something that can offer them um, something even better. So if they joined, I think it's a great sign of confidence for Polygon Studios. Um, we're the creative arm of Polygon, so we essentially deal with um, gaming, NFTs, um, anything that you can think of that is creative or can require a dApp is something that we work with at studios. So it's been very exciting to have people from all these sort of different um, amazing backgrounds on board. It's been great running through these clips. I hope you've enjoyed listening in. And if you'd like to join us for the next one, make sure to go to diffusion.events.